Well, when Pastor approached me um, about doing this, we, we kind of had thought that it, we may be able to stay in, in sequence, um, but, but that didn't quite happen. God sends um, additions to the family and the babies when he, in his timing, he, does, he didn't consult us about that, and we welcome when they, when they came. So um, Pastor did um, chapter 11 last Sunday, Christina did 10 on Wednesday, and then um, uh, today we're doing chapter 9 in the book of John in its entirety, but we'll be back on schedule, I think, on Wednesday. So if, if you would, uh, um, go ahead and open your Bibles to chapter 9 or your devices, whichever way you use. Um, we will, you may want to leave it open. We're going to kind of zigzag through the chapter going back and forth a bit today. Um, you know, with the pastor having uh, the new edition, McAllister, as it uh, 5.0? Yes, I think so is what we're saying. Um, you know, remembering when my children were born, and I'm sure if you have children, you can, you can relate, and, and the joy and the warm feelings that, that come, come with that. And the first thing you do, you know, you kind of you, you look, count the toes, you know, 10 toes, 11, 11 if you're in some place, but 10, 10 fingers. Uh, what kind of hair? And we started, uh, he looks like dad. Or no, 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 she looks like mom. It's, what color are her eyes? Does the baby have hair? Um, but one thing that we didn't do, and I don't know, maybe you did. Maybe I'm odd. But one thing we didn't do is look down at the beautiful little, little girl or that little boy and say, boy, you're a wretched sinner. Look at this. You're just a depraved individual. But that's one, that, that's what happened more or less in the story we're going to look at today in chapter 9. And, and this, was, this was kind of the thought uh, in the background that we're going to see. So we're going to jump right in. Chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Salaam. This means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted I am the man. Now then, were your eyes opened? Or how were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, the man called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. You know, I couldn't help but realize that 
in this passage, sometimes it's hard to, to get it, but there's, there's some humor in here. We have the, the man, and he's saying, you know, they're like, you can't be him. You just look like this guy. And he's like, no, it's me, and they won't listen. Later in the story, we'll see uh, the relig religious leaders kind of go back and forth between interrogating him, and then they don't like that answer, so they go to his parents, and then they go back to him. It's just... And if you can kind of read into the text a little bit, it, 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 it gives a, a, almost a humorous context. But this, this story is very similar to a couple of other stories that we find in some of the other Gospels, specifically Mark. And uh, you'll probably remember there was a, a deaf man uh, that he healed, and in that time he also used some saliva. He, he kind of put his fingers in the man's ears, and then he touched his tongue with saliva, and the man could hear and then speak. Uh, there is another person a little bit later in Mark who was also blind, and that was a little bit different again because that was that two-stage healing. In other words, uh, Jesus prayed for him, laid his hands on him, and he said, uh, I, I can see, um, but the men looked like trees walking around. And so um, he had used some mud in it, and so he had to pray a second time, and then he became clear uh, at that. But this story is, is very distinctive and, and a little bit different than those specifically because the man was blind from birth. And that's a very, very key and critical point here. And we're going to find out, and I'll mention it again, but that's important because it was considered a, a, a messianic miracle. So it, it, it's kind of odd to hear, but there, there is kind of a hierarchy or a tier of miracles, so to speak. Um, and, and what we mean by that is, do, do you realize that in all of the Old Testament... We don't have an account of someone being healed of blindness. We don't. We talk about it, but it's going to be look, looked to in the future when the Messiah comes. And that's one thing that makes Jesus' ministry so specific. And the fact that the man was blind from birth and they had this kind of bad theology about him being a sinner. So we're going to go in. The way that I thought we would do this today is we would explore a little bit about the attributes of each character um, and I think that would be a good way. So we're going to look at the man. We're going to look at his parents. We're going to look at uh, the Pharisees or the religious leaders. And then, of course, we're going to look at Jesus. So um, we're going to start out by looking at this man himself. The man that was, the, was blind or was formerly blind. Uh, and one of the main characteristics that he exhibits is he was a witness. He, he would become a witness. And we find that in verse 30 through 33. So drop all the way down on the page. Um, what is a witness? You know, sometimes in the church, we, we kind of pick up this Christianese the way that we speak. And so the first thing that pops into my head when we, when we say witness, it's somebody handing out tracts, somebody telling someone about the Lord, and that is important. But, but witnessing is actually more of a secular term, you understand. It comes to us from the legal system. If you talk about a witness, it's someone who offers testimony, right? You go to court, you place your hand on the Bible, and you swear to tell the truth. This is what happened. I saw this guy. He mugged this woman. He had a green shirt and a cap on, whatever, right? But that's what Scripture wants us to do. It wants us to be a witness and offer testimony of what Christ has done for us. So, you know, when you're talking to your friends, when we're at work, when we're at different places, and we have a moment, hey, let me tell you what happened to me. I was a witness to something. Jesus came into my life. He saved me. He gave me a family. He gave me a home. He gave me, you know, 
He's blessed me. He's healed me. We're going to start here at uh, verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God speaks, uh, spoke to Moses. But as far as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind, eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So one of the really neat uh, aspects of this chapter is we see we see a uh, progression progression of revelation um, this story broadly fits in the follow me type of stories that we find in the gospel Jesus encounters someone he prays for them he heals them or he just says follow me leave your sins and follow me and so the man will follow him but his within this chapter we see a progression he doesn't automatically know who Jesus is he doesn't recognize him obviously because he's blind you know, he may have heard about somebody going around and healing people, but, but he doesn't know who Jesus is. And so he goes from being healed to actually knowing Jesus a bit. And then in the end of the story, he'll follow him. But at the same time, we have kind of a reversal or a contrast going on. And that's on the part of the religious leaders. These are the men that are supposed to be able to see. These are the men that have been highly trained in the text. And they have a measure of knowledge in the beginning, but as we go through the text, they actually regress and lose it. So, uh, verse 36, the man is receptive to the gospel. He's receptive. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when they found him, when he found him, meaning Jesus, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. So he was receptive to the gospel. We have to be receptive, right? The Lord can only work in us as far as we allow him to. And so we need to receive when we, have, when we hear different things. When pastors hear, when we have different teachers, you may listen to someone on the radio or read devotions. Verse 38. A believer and a worshiper. So the man was also a believer. He became a believer and he became a worshiper. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. One of the things I love about being at New Hope is we are a worshiping congregation. Isn't that right? And, and I plan, I hope you're here uh, to be here tonight. We're going we're gonna to worship, and it's going to be exciting. But you can worship in your home. You can worship uh, privately in your car. You don't have to be uh, a part of a group. It's great when we can, and that's, that's very special. But one thing that we need to, to, to learn here from the text is the proper attitude for any of us when God has done something for us, rather that's if it's spiritual or if it's a physical, maybe a healing or if maybe it's something else in our life, a financial or a social um, victory that we've received, we, the proper response is praise, right? 
So let's move on. We're going we're gonna to jump over to another, another group, and that's going to be his parents. His parents. His parents, uh, this is verse 20, had knowledge, but they did not allow faith into their hearts. How many people here know that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is kind of, oh, wisdom is kind of knowing how to use that knowledge. But then the, we go for even further when we're talking about faith, right? And exercising our faith. And there's a difference. Verse 20. His family said, we know he is our son. The parents answered, we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. So, um... We have to remember that in their culture, a boy was considered a man at 12. And so this, this person may have been what we consider a teenager. He may have been in his 20s, or he may have been a little bit older than that. There's no way to know from the text. But we'll see, you know, what, what this means in a, in a bit. But have you heard of this new artificial intelligence that, um, that, that I guess, scientists and, and engineers have been working on? Um, yeah, I don't want to digress too much, but you would think we have enough literature and, and movies and things that would warn them. But now they want to try to make computers alive. And um, so they, they've done some amazing things. Just uh, The one went online just at the end of last year. So it's only been about two months old. And if you're familiar with the uh, computer program Photoshop, it's uh, one that came out well, when I was younger. And it allows people to kind of you at home to put a picture with another image and make it look like maybe you're in Italy or somewhere else or you're on the beach and you can get pretty convincing with them and so they assigned the computer to do this and it was able to do it pretty pretty well and um, it's become a problem in the school system my wife works in the school system and and she um, she worked on Photoshop it was a big component of, of her master's degree and so she, her first response was well, you know uh, it, it, it won't be able to do all the steps. It'll just do the finished product. So they took it apart. No, it did all of the steps, so you can't tell that it was done artificially. But, you know, they also wanted it to write a sermon. And so they went in and they, they, they gave it all of this, um, all of the collective works of uh, some of the Martin Luther and, and, and theologians and, and some modern ones, too. And it did, it did produce a, a, pretty much, a pretty sound uh, a statement and a and sermon, but I, I, I remember the, the reviews of it, and they said it doesn't seem to have a spirit. It doesn't seem to have a soul. You know, you can know a lot, and, and that's good, and we'll, we're going to get to that. The Pharisees had a lot of knowledge, but they didn't seem to execute it the right way. But you approach God with faith. You don't approach God with, you know, I you know, God, I have a degree. Or have you know, you, you know, Lord, you know, I've been a member of the church and I, and I, I've graduated all the classes. No, you have to approach him with humble heart and with faith because only through Christ do we have standing. So uh, we're going to drop down to verse 22. His parents feared religious and governmental leaders more than they feared God. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. 
That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So I think we need to be fair. Sometimes it is difficult to kind of look over the great barrier that is between us and, and the text and the time that it was written. When they say that he would, they would be put out of the synagogue, it's a little bit weightier than just not being able to come to church. You see, because there is no separation of church and state that we enjoy today. And so when the Jewish leaders made a decision, it had the weight of law behind it. And so not only would they not be able to come to, to religious services and fellowship, um, what good respecting Jew would then associate with them? They wouldn't be allowed um, you know, social interactions. They would be kind of shunned throughout their community. Now, we don't want to read too much into it, but there is the possibility that if it, if it persisted, the, the, the religious leaders could uh, seize their home, their possessions, their money. They could even be put out of the city. Again, um, we had a lot of different little messiahs running around at this time, but Jesus was special, and he was someone that they were looking to and, and focusing on very specifically. And so, um, to the point you know, we know that they, they eventually crucified him. So these people, they were very serious about this. But with that said, we have to keep in mind that the fear of the Lord is, uh, is where we need to be. Actually, let's look right here in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9.10. In his book, the joy of fearing God, Jerry Burge um, wrote that uh, the fear of the Lord is both a bit of reverence and a little bit of actual fear. You know, uh, I don't know how uh, your home, you know, the way that you grew up, but I can tell you in my home, I didn't fear my father. I was reverent of him, and I knew that there was always a line that you didn't cross. But there was a couple of times when, in the middle of the night, we heard a, a knock at the door. And I can guarantee you that the person on the other side of the door needed to be a little fearful. Because what was waiting on them on the inside was well-armed and not afraid to take action. And, that, and that's how God is. God is, God is fearful. God is, um, He's safe when we, when, you know, for us. We are his children. He's not going to hurt us. And it's not even something that we need to be afraid of stepping over a line and he's going to smite us and smack us. Okay? It's more of a fear of what happens if I leave the home. What if I leave? The natural repercussions of what I do will get to me. Not so much him. But for those who, who come at us, those who are attacking us, or those who are on the other side, um, need to be careful. So we need, to, we need to honor God, respect him, and we need to fear him in the sense that he is reverence and he is holy. So let's move on to verse 16. The religious leaders, uh, they were accusers. They were accusers. But you see, they were skeptical of God's move. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, 
How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned against the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still didn't believe him, believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? I don't know if you know, but there's a revival going on in this country. Some of you may have heard about it. Yes, amen. Thank God. So this revival started uh, in, in Kentucky at uh, a place called uh, Asbury University, and it's uh, specifically at Asbury Theological Seminary. It is a seminary, and it's a very old and respected one. And it started last Wednesday, not this last Wednesday, but the previous, uh, February 8th, I believe, at about 10 o'clock in the morning. And when you go to a, a Christian college, you have chapel services. And, and every school is a little bit different, you, but you at least have one per week. I think when we went to school, we, they had them every day, five days a week. And so it's like a, a mini church service. It usually lasts 45 minutes, maybe 30 minutes an hour, the most. And, and they, there's some songs and, and more like a devotional type, type message. And then you'd go to class and continue your day. And this is how, kind of how you're supposed to start your day. But on this occasion, and it was just kind of a routine chapel service on Wednesday morning, it never ended. The kids never went to class. No one moved. They stayed at the altars. They prayed. And eventually those people, you know, would become fatigued and had to go to bed, had to eat. But others came and replaced them, and others came to help lead the worship. And it continued on, and it still is continuing t uh, today. And uh, I had a list here of other places that it's kind of spread to that the school has, has published uh, since then, uh, other than Asbury. The Ramp, which is a school of ministry, Jacksonville, Georgia High School, Cedarville University, Ohio, Ohio Christian University, Lee University, Tennessee, Bethel, Austin, Texas, Park Hill, Missouri, uh, Indiana Wesleyan University, the Gate, Charlotte, North Carolina, Kingsway, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, Kingdom Life, Waterview, Maine, Israel, Uganda, University of Kentucky, EKU, Eastern Kentucky, ECU, Kentucky Christian, and Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. Amen. Now, the reason that I told you all that is because, um, sure enough, within a day or two of even hearing about this, I started, you know, seeing the things on social media. Yeah, and you know the ones. It's, it's, it's the, um, the religious leaders. Well, well brother, that, that's nice, but we need, to, we need to judge the fruit. We need to wait and see how it turns out. We, we need to see if these are true. Do the people sin after they go to chapel? Well, we need to do a, a study 10 to 15 years from now to see if this is... Okay. Now, I think Scripture does tell us that we are to judge fruit. And we are to be cautious. But we also don't want to stifle the Spirit. We don't want to quench the Spirit, as I think King James said. 
We have to be thankful when God moves. Only in America do we cry out for revival and then say, God, this isn't the right revival. Send it this way. This is the way it has to be, right? He's going to send it in his terms and in the way it may not look like what we even want it to look. And so that's the point here. They were praying for a Messiah, but he didn't fit into their criteria because his Messiahship was inward, it was spiritual, and it was very much unseen and non-militaristic. They wanted an outward, tangible, and a military Messiah. We need to be careful, church, about our critical nature. My wife says I have the spirit of suspicion sometimes, but uh, that's natural. So let's go to 2 Timothy. Uh, you don't have to turn there uh, because we're going to stay in John. But 2 Timothy 2.15, the Pharisees failed to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, Timothy says, do your, or Paul says to Timothy, do your best to pre present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, if you're like me and you kind of cut your teeth on the King James, the, the wording there is rightly dividing, and I kind of like that, you know, because it's more visual. We can see that the right way to handle the word is, you know, some of the word is for this purpose, some of it's for this purpose. You know, we can't just, you know, push it into a, you know, a, a round peg into a square hole. That doesn't work. There's a right way and a wrong way, and we need to be careful about the way we do that. But these Pharisees were not, were not doing it that way. You see, they saw a couple of things wrong with Christ. They, they called him up on, on a couple of different uh, areas, and, and one of them was that, he, well, both of them actually, but he were, was working, and it was on a Sabbath that he, that he healed. And uh, so the actual, um, when he made the mud, that would be considered working because there was a prohibition against making mud. I'm not sure if making mud patties was an issue back then, it probably had something to do with the making of bricks, which would be construction. But he made a little bit of mud, and he used it to heal the man. You know, me, I'm thinking, why did he have to do that? I think he just wanted to egg him on a little bit. He could have just spoke that he would be healed. And why did he do it on, the man had been born blind. He wasn't exactly waiting to be healed. He could have waited till Monday. But anyway. That's besides the point. So the second they got him on was actually the actual healing in and of itself. So there are two counts. One, that he had worked on the Sabbath by making mud, and the second, that he had worked on Sabbath by healing. So, but again, they didn't rightly divide the word of truth, did they? Because if they had known, they could have seen that this, this miracle that we talked about was a messianic sign and a messianic miracle, Isaiah 35, 5. Then will the eyes of the vine be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. So let's move to, to verse 24. They were sure of themselves. Have you been sure of yourself in the past? Um, a little confidence can be good, but I, I find if I'm too sure of myself, I, I end up into some problems. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give, God, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. So they called him and wanted more testimony. So this little phrase that you're going to see kind of sprinkled throughout, give glory to God, that's not a, like a genuine uh, uh, praise to the Lord. That, that was a, an idiom that they used 
And it just meant tell the truth. So it would be the same thing as if we read in a piece of literature, they, they said, um, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, so help you God. It, just, it wasn't something that was going, it was to offer testimony. And so that's, that's the kind of setting we're in this kind of courtroom uh, setting. You see, the Jews connected all suffering to sin and all sin to suffering. But we're going to see how that, that's wrong. Um, it's still bad theology, and I wrote down this quote from, from Christian author C.S. Lewis. Those who do not think about their own sins make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. Let me read that again. Those who do not think about their own sins make up for it by incessantly thinking about the sins of others. So let's talk about this. How could this, this blind man have sinned if he was blind from birth? In other words, how could the blindness be a result from sin? Well, there's uh, a couple of different what, you know, ways that they were thinking about this. And one, they, they thought of what they, they had prenatal sin. And so the child um, could you know, uh, be susceptible to sin sin in the womb, one of the evidences of that would be if they kicked a lot and they hurt the mother. Uh, we have to remember, we have to remember this is kind of a primitive time. They didn't have our, you know, our medicine. They didn't have our science. And so this was just something that kind of had grown up in the, the way that they thought of it. The other is the, the possibility of a pre-existent soul, meaning that the soul uh, is kind of infinite. It kind of lives forever. And that there was kind of a heavenly waiting room, so to speak, of souls. And they were waiting for bodies to be distributed in. And it would be possible for sin to come in to one of those uh, unborn souls. And then when it would be dispensed into a woman, it would already be predisposed to sin. And then therefore have to have a penalty, which would be blindness. Um, again, this is not in, uh, supported in scripture, but it's just kind of a, uh, a tradition or a, a way of thinking that had grown up into these religious leaders. And the, the, what about the parents? There's this third possibility that is, is slightly better represented in the Old Testament, and, and that is that the parents had somehow sinned, and so it was passed down as, as penalty uh, for that. And, and we do find some uh, explanation for that in Exodus 20, Exodus 34, Numbers 14, Psalm 109, and Isaiah 65. But you know, as a pastor once told me, uh, I'm more interested in, hear interested in hearing about some generational blessings than I am generational curses. You know, when we accept the Lord and we follow him, all of that's broken. We have a new bloodline, don't we? And that's, that's, that's through Christ. So Jesus doesn't try to explain all forms of suffering or disability or, or the, why that we have that in the world. We do know that there, there is uh, there's sin and that we have that to deal with. But that brings us to our next kind of point, and that's to, that's to Jesus. And that's who we really want to follow, isn't it? Jesus, and he, he's personified here as the healer, as the healer. You see, he brought justification to this man. In verse 3, it says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We have to remember Job. 
his friends said, Job, just, just admit that you sinned, curse God, and, and go die. But Job, Job knew the difference, right? He knew that he had not sinned, and while he did not fully understand um, why he had to go through this, he did understand that uh, he hadn't sinned and that that's not the reason. You see, God sees our suffering and our disease and our disability as an opportunity to work. When troubles and disaster come to people who don't know God, they often collapse. But when they fall on people that walk with Christ, they bring out the strength, beauty, endurance, and nobility which are in their hearts when God is in there. By helping those who are in trouble or in pain, we can demonstrate the glory of God to others. So Jesus brought direction to his followers. As long as day, we, and I underline that, you may want to circle that or take a note of that, we, because it's plural, right? It's not all on him. We must do the works of him who sent me. Jesus is speaking. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, he's not physically here, but we have taken on his duties. We are his ambassadors. So, I want to take this quiz, and I've done this before. Who remembers uh, the first point of pastor's sermon last week? Anybody? I was going to offer a gift card. I guess I should have brought one. I wrote it down. Oh, in the back here. I knew there's something. Amen. You get it. I'm going to tell him to give you a gift card. <laughs> a waiting season doesn't have to be a wasted season. A waited season, a waiting season doesn't have to be a wasted season. You see, this is what James would say, the book of James. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, um, I think it's, it's interesting that five days before the kind of the Asbury revival started, we got to see... Uh, in great detail, the perversion of the world. If, if you know what I'm talking about on a national broadcast, I'm not going to speak it out, but um, just the extreme. And, and let, But we see five days later, God's here and he's acting. You see, what, what we can learn from this passage, though, amen, is that um, we are our people's highway to heaven. There used to be a TV show I used to watch, Michael Landon, and it was highway, and you know, he was an angel. But angel just means messenger in the original. And we're his messengers now. We're to be that highway. And so I've also noticed that, that a lot of times in churches that we have certain churches that are really good at praying and laying out of hands and, and having great faith and we see healings. And then there are some churches that are really good at boots on the ground, feeding the, the orphans, feeding the poor, and, uh, and, and touching people. But it seems like there can be a division. In church, there doesn't need to be. And so while we believe in healing and while we want to pray with great faith and continue that, and we're going to, we're even going to have time for that in a few moments. 
I think that we need to also follow the pattern in Scripture. You know, not, not everyone who is in need, need received uh, what they wanted or what they could have received as soon as they, they may have wanted. And um, God will heal, but sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait a season, and sometimes that healing won't come until the resurrection. Remember what Martha said, I know, Lord, that Lazarus' healing will come in the resurrection. Now, Jesus got a little, uh, he got a little excited, and he brought him back, which is great. But who knows that, that Lazarus eventually passed away again, didn't he? No one lives forever. So there are three incidents, or three, three things that we can look at in Scripture. In the Old Testament, we see Moses. And if you're like me, when I think of Moses, I think of Charlton Heston. And that big booming voice talking to Yul Brenner up there and saying, let my people go, right? There's a problem with that theologically. Moses never said anything. You see, he had what we call faltering lips. One of the paraphrases says he stutters. And that's what he told God when God told him. Can you imagine that? God is talking to you and saying, Moses, and you need to go down and do this. And you're like, God, I stutter. And God doesn't miss a beat. He says, it looks like he looks over there like to Andrew. Andrew, you're going to do this for him. He gets Aaron, and Aaron's going to be his, his, his spokesperson. Church, we need to be the spokesperson for the people who don't have a voice. We need to be there, the one that brings them the message. We go advance forward. Jesus encounters a man. His name was Zacchaeus. And we don't think of Zacchaeus as being sick or having a disability. But most scholars tell us that the phrasing right there, a man that's short in stature, goes far beyond somebody who is just a little short. In his day, he, would pro he was probably someone who suffered from what we would consider dwarfism. And so, in his day, he'd be considered monstrous and, again, a sinner. Again, if you look very closely at the language, especially in the original, it never says that he was a sinner. It says the people said that he was a sinner. What did Jesus do? He welcomed him. He said, in fact, I'm going to go to your home. You're going to show me hospitality. Sometimes it's easier to ask somebody to our home than to go to their home. We don't know what their home is going to be like. Church, will you entertain the hurting around you? Will you invite them into your home or will you go to their home? Take the gospel to them. And finally, in the book of Acts, we, we come up across a man known as the Ethiopian eunuch. We never find out his name. And if you don't know what a eunuch is, I'll let you Google that on your own time. But uh, sufficient to say the Old Testament had a prohibition against him worshiping. And it was, it's very clear there in the passage that God sends Philip, he sends, uh, Jesus sends the disciples to each of the kind of uh, corners of the earth as they go out to evangelize. This is after the Great Commission. And Philip's job is to go down south to Africa. And he encounters this man in the language. Some scholars say that it, it means that he was to glue himself to the chariot with this man. And this man had, uh, was reading what we'd call the Old Testament and uh, Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? He was reading about in Isaiah about uh, Jesus and the prophecy. And he's like, how can I? I don't understand. And Philip laid out the gospel for him. And they happened to be passing by some water. And, he, and, the, and the eunuch asked, can I go? Uh, is there anything to prevent me from being baptized? And he's no. They went into the water. He was baptized. 
and he was brought into the family of God. And he became the first, what church uh, history considers the first missionary to Africa. So church, are you willing to explain the gospel to those around you? Are you, are you willing to ask people, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what's going on? And that list leads us up to Jesus and his role as the good shepherd. Christina did a great job on Wednesday explaining that to us and helping us learn about that. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, so underline that, when Jesus found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of God? This contrasts the previous verse, because in verse 20, uh, 34 it says, the religious leaders now we're talking about. They replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Church, our call is to go out and to be many shepherds, to be the light of the world. We're going to dismiss here in a moment. And, um, but if you, if you have something you want us to pray about, uh, Mark and Cheryl will be here. Pastor Brianna will be here. And we'll be happy to pray with you. But um, we're going to pray corporately. And if you've decided that you want to make a change, if you've decided that you want to, to be God's witness, if you want to believe for healing, then we want to pray with you. All right, let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you provided for us. We do pray for Pastor Landon, especially for Pastor Tara and the baby. We, we, they're such a, a blessing to our church. We, and we pray your blessing, your provision onto them and onto their family. And Lord, for everyone that's here today, I ask a special blessing as well. If those, if, as your heads are bowed, if you say, I wanna, I wanna offer testimony, I wanna do a better job just, just lift your hand up. I want to offer testimony with every eyes, every head bowed. If you say that I want to do a better job and I want to be, I want to be the healer. I want to offer healing, whether that's laying on of hands and people heal, or whether it's me being the, the arms and feet of Jesus and being with them and asking that they understand the gospel or inviting them into my home. Lord, you see these people. And you see their hearts. I ask in Jesus' name that you touch them and you help them. And you be with them, Lord. And you stir our spirits. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. If, if you say that you don't know this Jesus that we've been talking about and you're interested, again, we're going to have people here to pray for you. And I encourage you to come up.